So we are in Zephaniah today. Say that with me. Zephaniah. Say it emphatically. Zephaniah. There you go. Yeah, so we don't get to say many of these minor prophets very often. Uh, very few people uh, preach through them that I've heard through the years. And, and this is our first time to preach through the minor prophets as well. And, and so um, Zephaniah, I read, is probably the least preached uh, book of the Bible. The least preached book of the Bible. And so uh, we're going to cover it today. We're checking that one off today. Uh, we, that can't be said about us for sure. So uh, Zephaniah is a minor prophet. Uh, if you've got your Bible or your device, I'd encourage you to go on and turn to that. Who needs a, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our blue shirts will bring you one right now. Raise your hand. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't be embarrassed. We, that's why we're doing this. Raise your hand and we'll bring you a Bible right now. Awesome. Thank you for doing that. There's one in the back too, right over there. Anybody else? Fantastic. Yep. One right over here. Yep. So um, Zephaniah, again, if you don't know where it is, it's in the Minor Prophets, close to the New Testament. Uh, if you can't find it by that, look in the index in the front. It'll tell you exactly what page it'll be on. Uh, so Zephaniah is where we're going to be. Between, uh, this was written between 635 and 625 uh, BC during the reign of Josiah. Uh, and, and actually, Josiah was a good king. He was trying to do some good stuff, but around uh, the previous kings before him were just not very good. They kind of stunk it up a little bit. And so even though Josiah was really trying to do some good things and trying to reform uh, what was happening uh, around them, he got caught up in God's wrath. And, and so did pretty much the entire earth. And so what you're going to see, I'll give you a quick picture of what's going on in Zephaniah, uh, and then I'll get into to my text today. Uh, really, this is God saying judgment is coming. So if you're looking for a happy-go-lucky, uh, this is going to feel really good kind of sermon, you're out of luck today. Uh, because again, we're the angry minor prophets, right? And so uh, eventually we'll get through this and we're headed to Acts, which will be, a lot, which will be much more upbeat. Uh, but we're just in the angry minor prophets right now. And, and this one to me seems to be the most full of angst and uh, uh, almost a dread and uh, a, a little bit of fear should strike in many of us as we hear this. And so there you go. That's what's happening for the next 40 minutes. Uh, so just hang on for that. Uh, so let's jump into our text today. Uh, we'll, we'll pick up in just verses uh, two through six. This is what it says, uh, Zephaniah. I will utterly sweep away everything. Did I tell you this was going south in a hurry? I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idol uh, idolatrous priests among, uh, um, along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs, the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Welcome to the refuge. Uh, glad you're here today. All right, so this is, what, uh, this is what he starts out with. This is the Lord speaking. And right away in verse two, he says, I will sweep away. 
And then in verse three, he says, I will sweep away. And then he says again, I will sweep away. And then he says, I will cut off. And then he said in verse four, I will stretch out my hand against. And he says, this is what I will do to those who do not follow me. What God is saying is, your days are numbered. Your days are numbered because this is what I'm going to do. Look, if God says he's going to do it, what's going to happen? It's happening. God don't lie. God doesn't lie. He, he doesn't like fake something and then not do it. But he says, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, look at verse 6. This is what 6 says. Those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. He said, this is really where my wrath is turned, is to these people right here. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like anything that maybe we've covered before? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? I'll give you a hint. That ring a bell at all to anyone? What's in Genesis 6? Do you know what it is? Yes, there it is. Noah. Yeah, Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. This is what the text says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the land or I will sweep them away is another way of saying that. Man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heaven for I am I'm sorry that I have made them. And so what was the Lord saying then? Your days are numbered. And so the, the, the people and the world is so wicked in Zephaniah's day uh, that the Lord's anger welled up again, uh, uh, welled up again against them as it did in the days of Noah. And the Lord says, I am ready to wipe this whole thing out except for a remnant, which we will actually see later. Look uh, in Zephaniah chapter one, verse seven. He says this, be silent before the Lord God for the day of the Lord is near. And so uh, the Lord says to Zephaniah, he's like, be silent before me. There's no excuses that you have. There is nothing that you can say right now There is no defense to your actions right now, so zip it. Zip it. Say that with me. Zip it. That's what the Lord was saying. You got nothing to say to me right now. And so my question for each of us is this. How many times do you make excuses before the Lord? How many times do you minimize your sin? I mean, we we know what sin is, but how many times do we have a tendency to minimize that sin? Ah, That's really not that bad. I mean, if you look around, other people are doing much, much worse stuff. And so mine doesn't really seem that bad at all. I mean, I know probably the Bible has something to say against it, but you know, that's Old Testament stuff. And does that really even count anymore? I mean, but my sin is just not as bad as my neighbor's sin. You know what happens across the street? Or maybe you just dismiss your sin. I'm like, whatever, I don't even care. I'm going to keep doing it anyway. 
I'm going to keep doing it anyway. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, everybody's, I mean, it's 2022. And so, I mean, what we do in 2022, it's just become the norm. And so why does it even matter? I mean, that Bible stuff is just irrelevant today anyway. Or if we don't dismiss it, sometimes we just hide it and go, you know what, if I don't tell anybody or nobody really knows about my sin, then God probably doesn't know either. Because I'm sure when the lights are off and things are happening in the dark, the Lord can't even see me. Yes, he can. His nighttime goggles. <laughs> built in. But God is very specific in these verses. He does not want to hear the wicked nation's excuses. And honestly, he doesn't want to hear your excuses. He doesn't want to hear my excuses. He doesn't want to hear anybody's excuses. He says, the day of the Lord is near. And this day is, is coming. He said, the, the, the day is coming. And since it's called the day of the Lord, it is his day. And it's his day. He gets to control what happens on his day. It's all about him. In fact, uh, it goes on to tell us that this day, it, it is the Lord's who is the one uh, doing things and not anyone else. The Lord is the one who's going to be at work. The Lord is the one who is going to be doing these things that we just read about in the text and no one else. And because this day of the Lord is coming, God is serious about sin. He's serious about sin. He was then, and God is just as serious about sin today as he was in Zephaniah's day. Uh, hang on, I've lost my connection, sorry. So read along with me in uh, Zephaniah uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. This is what God goes on to say here. And the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's son and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of, mortar, of the mortar, for all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near and is hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries out there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts, and a battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty embattlements. I will bring distress on mankind that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their fish and, and their flesh like dung. So, we can see from these verses that clearly uh, the mood is not a good one. It's scary because God says there's going to be crying out and there's going to be wailing. It sounds from this like people are going to suffer. People are going to be full of fear. People are going to panic. 
I mean, can you imagine hearing wailing and the sound of what that might be like? It's an actual war that's going on. We'll see in some later verses that will describe it that way. It's a day of wrath, which is God's anger that gets poured out. It's a day of distress, which means there's going to be lots of anxiety. It's a day of anguish, which means a lot of agony and suffering. It's a day of ruin. It's a day of devastation. It's a day of destruction. It's a day of gloom. It's a day of sadness, a day of depression, and a day of war, even against the safest cities, is what the text says, even against the best defenses. And there'll be no stopping this war. Once the trumpet sounds, which is usually the start of festivals or seasons or wars, when it sounds, God is at work on this day, on this day of war. Does that sound surprising to you? Is that, does that text sound like, wait a minute, that's, that's not who, how I think of God. These verses outline four groups uh, that the Lord says that he will punish. The first one is officials and kings and their sons and all those who array themselves in foreign attire. So those who go into other places and take what doesn't belong to them. He also said it's also those who leap over thresholds and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. That's in uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9. And so when he says those who leap over thresholds, that's those who steal, go into other places where they don't belong and take what is not theirs. Those who steal and those who commit violence and those who are full of fraud. He said it's also the men who are complacent. I spoke to men last week. The Lord is speaking here and said, those whose, whose men are complacent. And lastly, he just groups everybody in in verses 17 and 18. He says, all mankind and all of the earth. You think God doesn't take sin seriously? What about you? Do you take sin seriously? And this, is, this is a literal self-examination time for you. Do you take sin seriously? Do you take your own sin seriously? Because I'm not talking about the sins of others. That's really easy, right? I can look at you all day long and tell you what your sins are. But it's a little bit more difficult whenever I look inwardly. And I would say the same thing for most of us. That it's really easy for you to look at somebody else and see their sins clearly. But do you take your own sin seriously? That's not a favorite pastime of, uh, or actually, it is a favorite pastime of most church people to look at others and find their sin, right? You might know somebody in the church that looks at other people's sin seriously. Maybe it's you. Pointing out the sins of others. You know, you know what she does. I mean, you know how she's living today. I don't know how she gets away with that. I don't know how she lives with herself. You know what that dude's doing? Do you know what he's doing at work? You know how many girlfriends he has? I know. It's crazy. Somebody will tell his wife. 
I'm not telling her, you tell her. And there's a place for addressing sin with one another. But the main thing that each of us need to do is look within our own self. Examine our own self. Examine our own hearts. Examine our own motives. Examine our own life the way we live. That's what's important. Because honestly, you can't do anything about anybody else's sin. I can't do anything about your sin except stand up here and encourage you to examine yourself in your own sin. That's part of my role as pastor and, and teacher is to say, hey, look at yourself. Examine yourself. How does this look before the Lord? How do you stand before the Lord in the way that you're living? But the overwhelming direction in Scripture is for each of us to be responsible for our own sin. You and you alone are responsible for your sins. I'm not responsible for your sins. Your spouse is not responsible for your sins. Your mama's not responsible for your sins. You are responsible for your sins. Do you believe you can negotiate yourself out of the punishment that's, that's due for your sins? Do you believe your sins won't find you out? Do you believe that you can go on and keep sinning and keep sinning without any regards to God's instructions about how we should live or the sins that we should repent for? Clearly, God looked over all the earth, as, as we read here in uh, uh, Zephaniah. He looked over all the earth and he says, I'm going to hold you responsible for your sins. And so with that, we can see that God is sovereign over all the nations. He is the sovereign over all the nations, over the nations, what happens in the nations, where the nations rise or fall, and the people within those nations, God is sovereign over all these things. Nations may have a king. We know nations that have kings. Nations may have a president. Nations may have a prince. Nations may have a dictator. Nations may have a, a queen. But they live and they rule because God allows them to live and rule for a particular time. Yet, he will not allow them to continue to live in their rebellion against him for just ongoing. He will not allow it. Look at what God says in verse 18. Neither shall their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them. See that? He's like, yeah, I don't care what they've got. It's, it's worthless compared to what's, going, what's coming and the wrath of God that's coming on the day of the wrath of the Lord. Their, their, their goods, what they own, their riches will be no good. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. So he says, you're not going to be able to buy your way out of this. You're not going to be able to negotiate your way out of this. You're going to have to face the wrath of God because of your sin. God was serious about sin in 620 BC, and he is serious about sin today. Let's keep going. Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. This is what the text says. Gather together. Yes, gather O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there, comes, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. He says, gather together. Gather together. God says, hey, Judah, 
gather together, circle the wagons up, have a little powwow because this thing's coming. And do it quick before the anger of the Lord rains down on you. And this is what he says in Judah chapter 2 in verse 3. Look what he says. Seek the Lord. So he's telling, get, get yourselves together. And this is what I want to say to you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Oh, a glimmer of hope. Perhaps you may be hidden on, uh, on the day of the anger of the Lord. So, so right off the bat, God says, this is step one, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Do not slumber, do not sleep, do not get lazy, do not get distracted with anything else. Don't, ingo- don't get involved with those around you who blaspheme the Lord. Listen, young people, listen to me. Everybody who is younger than me, Actually, everybody who is 21 and younger, listen, specifically. I was that, believe it or not, I was your age once. Do not get involved with those who blaspheme the Lord. We don't missionary date. You know what that is? I'll explain it. Glad you asked. Yeah, come on, mamas and daddies, y'all ought to be for this. We don't missionary date, which means we don't date, if you're a Christian and claim the name of Jesus, we don't date those people who are not a part of the household of faith, hoping that by my kindness and my beauty and my ways that I make casseroles, that this person might come to know Jesus, okay? If you are dating someone who is not a part of the house, if you're a Christian, young people, don't lose me. If you are a Christian and, and you are dating someone who is not a Christian and hopes that they might come to know Jesus, break up with them today. Where's the camera? Yeah, okay, right here, yeah. If you are a Christian and you are dating someone who is not a Christian in hopes that they might come to know Jesus, break up with them today and just go pray for them. All God's people said. Yeah, I'm not even kidding. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. This is not my own opinion, although it is my opinion, because I'm agreeing with the scriptures. I'm way off. You know what I'm saying? Y'all tracking with me? Do not be puffed up and do not be proud because that does not go well, as we can see from these texts today. Be humbled in the land is what the text says. Follow the commands of God. Then he says, seek righteousness, which means basically live with Christian civility and compassion toward one another. He says, feed the poor and needy. Look, let let me sidebar again on Thanksgiving. I, I don't know where we are in that whole thing of of meeting our need to serve 60 people. Listen, this is 60 families that can't feed their family on Thanksgiving. I would dare say every person in this room is going to plan some Thanksgiving meal and you're going to stuff your pie hole uh, full on Thanksgiving day, right? I am too. We're going to stuff our pie holes on Thanksgiving day until we can't even stay awake. Well, there are families that can't even uh, make a meal for themselves and their families on Thanksgiving Day. And all we're asking you is to spend 40 measly dollars to provide a meal for a family on Thanksgiving Day. 
Please don't slumber and sleep on that. Please don't do that. Please pick up one of those forms and go buy that food this afternoon and bring it back here before Wednesday so we can serve these families. A lot of soapboxes up here today. Feed the poor and the needy. Fight oppression. Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus uh, followers oppose oppression. We're not for people being oppressed. We're to try to alleviate that oppression that people might find themselves in. Love your neighbors, all of your neighbors. Jesus said, love your neighbors as you love yourself. And you may ask, like we see in the scriptures, well, who is my neighbor? You know who your neighbor is? Yes, even that neighbor is your neighbor. Don't play dumb with God, okay? Just don't play dumb. It's foolishness. God wants God's people to put God's concerns above their own. You may have your set of concerns, but those don't trump the things that God calls us to. It just doesn't. He wants us on his agenda with all of our heart. Then God goes on, and he goes on this diatribe about those who refuse to do the very thing that I just talked about. Look in Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 4 through 15. He says, For Gaza shall be deserted, and Ashkelon like, uh, shall become desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to you, inhabitants of the seacoast, you nations of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you. O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. You think he's playing? God don't play. And you, O seacoast, shall be pastures. Not pastures, pastures. Flat land. With meadows for shepherds and folds for flocks. The seacoast shall become the possession of the remnant of the house of Judah on which they shall graze. And in the houses of Ashkelon, they shall lie down in the evening for the Lord their God will be mindful of them and restore their fortunes. I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and made boasts about their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah. Now, y'all remember that story? What's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? What happened to that place? What got rained down on it? Fire and brimstone. Don't even look over your shoulder at it. You know what I'm saying? It was destroyed. And, and he, uh, he says, Moab shall become like this place. And the Ammonites like this place. A land possessed by nettles and salt pits and waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them. And the survivors of my nation shall possess them. This shall be their lot in return for their pride. Because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. Hey, you're in this room. You make fun of the people of God. This is what God says. He's got stored up for people that make fun and taunt the people of God. The Lord will be awesome against them. 
For he will famish all the gods of the earth, and to him shall bow down each in its place and the la- all the lands of the nations. Hey, if you're here, if you're watching, and you serve up some other god, you've got some little idol, some made of wood or stubble or plastic or whatever it is, and you're worshiping that thing, God's going to like smite that sucker, and like there'll be nothing left of it. He ain't playing around with your false idols. Then 12, he says, you also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword, and he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, and he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry wasteland like the desert. Look, I would have hated to live in Nineveh. I mean, this is like three different times that we've heard about Nineveh going down. I mean, Nineveh is done. And, and so the Ninevites should pay attention to this. Herds shall lie down in her midst. All kinds of beasts, even the owl and the hedgehog, shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the, in the window. That's funny. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastation will be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. This is the exultant city that lives securely. See what he said? Hey, this, this city thought it was secure that they were puffed up. This is the exultant city that thought it was secure, that said in her heart, I am and there is no one else. I am and there is no one else like me. What a desolation she has become, a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. Whew, he ain't playing. That's what he just said. In verse 15, God makes it very clear. This is what God says. The wicked will be punished and the righteous will be vindicated on the day of judgment. Are you hearing this? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Well, who does God call wicked? I'm going to turn back. You're welcome to turn back with me to Psalm chapter 10. This is what God says in first 10 verses of Psalm. Let me make sure I don't lose my place here. Yeah. Psalm chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 10. This is who God calls wicked. Uh, Look, this is what he says. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of, their desire, of the desire of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him, and his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. For all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in an ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. That was the last part. said, all this stuff is going on around me, but I'm not even sure that God even sees what's going on. The question is, from that text, who do we see as the wicked? First off, 
It is the proud. Psalm chapter 10, verses 3 and 6. Whatever they do. Proud people say, whatever they do is good. Hey, whatever, I'm doing the right thing. I'm always right. Whatever I say is right. Whatever I say trumps anything that anybody else says. That's putting yourself in the place of God. Only God lives there. Who does God call wicked? The proud. The foul-mouthed. The greedy. The violent. We read that in, in uh, Psalm chapter 10. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. He goes on, Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and, and he talks about more judgment. You getting a theme here? Look at what he says. Woe to her, uh, woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does draw, not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, te treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. He goes on. And says, I have cut off nations, their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But the more they were, but the more they were eager to make all of their deeds corrupt. God says, no matter what the warning comes, they just keep on in their sin. Some of you are the same way. You, you come to refuge uh, on a regular basis. You come here almost Sunday after Sunday, and you hear preaching from God's word, and you ignore it. You ignore the warnings that get uh, proclaimed from this pulpit week after week after week. And you ignore the hope that comes in Christ Jesus. And you keep on going, keep on doing, keep on sinning, thinking that you're getting away with it. But the Lord says, that's not the way it's going to be. You can't do this and get away with it forever. And God always, say always with me, say always. Always, even in his anger towards those who continually sin against him, God always makes a way for his people. Look in uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. This is what he says. For at that time, I will change the speech of the people to pure speech. To all of them that may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. 
On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall, be no, you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humbled and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, for their, uh, for, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Look back at verse 12. This is what he says. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. So who do those who are saved, what does it look like? He says they are humble and lowly. Humble and lowly. Seeking refuge, which means seeking safety in the name of the Lord. In verses like this, the scripture speaks of God being our refuge. We as a people of God seek refuge in him. Honestly, this, this is part of the reason that our church is called refuge. We're, we're not saying seek refuge in us. We're not saying seek refuge in this building. We're not saying seek refuge in a pastor or a person here. We're saying this church is going to point you to the one who is the refuge. It is Jesus. He is our refuge and strength. He is the one we run to. He is the one we hide in. He is the one that brings us safely home. He is the one who hides us under his wing. We point you to the only hope in life and death, the man Christ Jesus. And for those who followed God's instructions, remember what it said in uh, chapter 2, verse 3, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, and do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. And for those, instead of judgment and destruction, there is joy and restoration. Look with me as we wrap up this uh, text in the last few verses. This is what it says. Sing aloud, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. See what happened there? Remember how this thing started? God is like bringing down the hammer when this thing started. But now he's saying, hey, you who are trusting in Jesus, you are finding refuge in the one where you can find safety and refuge. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear, you shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your heart, let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes says the Lord. Man, that's good. So from this, the Bible teaches us that God blesses those who repent and trust in him. Now, what does blessing mean? The blessing means that we are in Christ. 
The blessing means that we are covered in Christ. The blessing means that we don't face that wrath and that anger of God. That's the blessing. I'm not talking about um, uh, uh, financial blessing. I'm not talking about prosperity when it comes to things that you have. I'm not talking about um, uh, anything material. That stuff comes and goes, and we've already seen that that stuff's going to be burned up no good. But the blessing is eternal security, being one in Christ Jesus. Now, what do we do with this? That's the big question. What do you, what do you, how do you take an Old Testament minor prophet and do something with it for us today? Honestly, you could take uh, Zephaniah from a long time ago and somehow transport him from the, the, the 625 BC and drop him into 2022 today, change the name of some leaders that he talked about, change the names of some of the nations today, and Zephaniah might preach the same kind of message. A world full of sin with no regard for God. Leaders who have no regard for God nor his ways. Nations at odds with one another. A people who look out for themselves rather than for others. That we can all agree on, right? I mean, we could do that and we could also, yeah, I, I could see where that could happen. Well, let's bring it a little closer to home. Zephaniah would not only see a world like that, he would see a people like that. Maybe even some of you. Men and women full of sin with no regards for God. Personal sin. Family sin. Sins with our words. Sins with our actions. Paul talks about those things in Ephesians chapter 4, about things that we should put off and put on. I'm not going to get into that today for just lack of time. But instead of putting those things away, specifically that Paul talks about in Ephesians, we just keep, some of you keep on sinning with no regard for God. Many of you who lead in your home, many of you who lead in your work, many of you who even lead in this church, maybe even have no regard for God and his ways. Many of you are at odds even with one another have no desire or any feeling of sorrow over your choice to keep some relationships fractured and broken. Some of you think in those kind of situations only about yourself and not for the feelings or needs or the care for others at all. You need to know this. God is serious about your sin. God will punish the wicked who keep on and keep on and keep on in their sin. But God blesses those who repent, who turn away from that, who move away from their continual sin to follow him. Much of what happened in Zephaniah's day has already come true, yet some of it still remains unfulfilled. And the thing that's really lacking is Zephaniah, I believe, was really pointing forward to this day happening in the second coming of the Lord Jesus. 
when the Lord Jesus comes again, some of these things will finally be fulfilled. And so church, here's what I say for all of us today. Today, let us circle the wagons and have a little powwow. Circle the wagons, have a little talk. While there's still time for some of you who are outside the household of faith, there's still time for you. Still time for you. But don't be fooled, just as Zephaniah was warning in those days, those days are numbered. Those days, your days are numbered. The scripture tells us that God numbers our days, the ends from the beginning. There's only a set amount of time that you and I have to repent and turn to the Lord. But yet today, there's still time to be right with God. There's still time to come to Jesus, Jesus and Jesus alone. When you repent of your sins and you believe the gospel, the blessing behind that is that God's wrath gets poured out on Jesus and not on you. All this wrath that Zephaniah is talking about won't fall on you anymore. That's the good news of the gospel, is that Jesus took all of God's wrath and we get all of the benefits. We get all of his righteousness. Jesus did it perfectly, even though you and I haven't. He exchanges our rebellion for his righteousness. How does that happen? You repent, which means you turn, which means there's great sorrow for my sin, seeing that it is an affront to God, and believe the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, he was tempted in every way, just like you and I are even today, yet he did it without any sin. He said, and he shed his blood on a cross to cover your sin debt. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So your sins cannot be forgiven without the shed blood of Jesus. And that blood only applies to you whenever you repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and put your faith and trust in Christ alone, in his sinless life, his vicarious death, his victorious resurrection over sin, hell, and the grave. He is the only way. He is your only hope. And so today, before the day of the Lord is at hand, we urge you to come to Jesus. We urge you to repent of those rebellious ways against God. Turn away from them before the wrath of God falls on you. And along with Zephaniah, we can say this. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. Let's pray.